0: From Miami Law, I'm Annette Ugez, and this is The Explainer.
1: You know, you you fall in love with a character before you fall in love, it seems to me, with a cause.
0: Drew Adams is, by every definition, a young man. Yet the county school board, where he is a student, wants him to use the gender-neutral or girls' facilities at his high school. The Florida Seniors case has made it to the U.S. Court of Appeals with the support of 21 attorney generals. On the show today, constitutional expert Charlton Copeland unlocks the historical and contextual debate. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview.
2: Morning. Thanks for joining us, Charlton.
1: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
0: Um, So we're into another transgender
2: bathroom debate. Where's the case and where's it heading?
1: So this is a case that's been filed in the U.S. District Court for the Middle District of Florida in Jacksonville, Um, and it's a suit that's been brought uh, by uh, a student, Drew Adams, who is probably a few weeks shy of graduation at this point. But the suit was brought a couple years ago uh, against the St. John's County uh, Board of Education um for the decision not to allow uh Drew to use uh the the restroom that accords with his gender identity
2: and he uh, it did this after he had um surgery and was in every way a young man
1: yes and after he had his his gender changed on on his driver's license with respect to the state uh i think his birth certificate um, I think his he was understood to be a male for purposes of uh, the school district and his particular school, uh, particularly in general. Uh, but with respect to uh, the bathroom, uh, the school, which, uh, to be fair, had been a bit thoughtful in some respects uh, by having a task force uh, even prior to uh, the Obama administration's um, Dear colleague, letters that 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 went out uh, toward the end of of, of that administration, uh, but uh, that task force, uh, as the uh, records show, uh, did not in fact recommend uh, affording uh, students uh, transgender students the opportunity to use the bathroom of their gender identity. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, he was allowed at first to use the. Boys facilities and then they. I
1: think he was using the boys facilities. And then I think there were two students. The record seems to suggest two female students who complained about his use of of those facilities. Yes. Mm
2: -hmm. But then the school wanted him to use the girls room. Well. Or the gender neutral. A
1: a gender neutral room. Mm -hmm. I think that. Right. The task force. That that had been in creation established a gender neutral bathroom that Drew Adams used, but again, the the court records uh, show, and I think the I think it was a three day trial. Drew testified to the fact that the use of that bathroom made him feel stigmatized, mm-hmm. and and to go back to your point about Drew's prior use of the bathroom, it was important in the district judge's decision with respect to. Uh, the school board's assertions of safety and privacy, right? Because this, the, the, there was clearly a record that uh, showed that there had never been any incidents with respect to threats to students' privacy or safety when Drew was using the the, the boys' bathroom. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that that prior use was was important for the perspective of, of testing the viability, as it were, of the state's arguments.
2: Okay. And then where could it go? It could either get kicked back to a lower court or it could go—
1: So so Drew won in the district court in a uh, a, a lengthy opinion, a 70-page opinion— That is fairly thorough. This case is is likely going to be heard by the 11th Circuit. There are already there's already briefing, as you know, 20 plus uh, states attorneys general outside of Florida have weighed in on behalf of the plaintiff in this case. And so I expect there to be uh, more litigation at this point. I don't think that there's been a circuit court that has not sided with a transgender plaintiff Mm -hmm. on this question. Um, and so I think that there'll be um, lots of eyes on the 11th Circuit with respect to this, because a circuit split would create the the, the circumstance for a grant of certiorari by the Supreme Court on this question, I think.
2: OK, there have been other uh, cases like this, of course, in Florida. And um, so how have those
1: played out? I think that there's a sort of mixed bag. I've looked a, a, a little bit more at the cases across the country which by and large have been uh, positive, uh, at least at the highest levels. There have been some district court cases that ruled against uh, transgender uh, students at the trial court level. But even in I think there was a Pennsylvania court that had ruled against a student uh, on these issues, even there, the Third Circuit, uh, came out the other way, and in fact, the district court's decision in in Drew's case noted that and noted the unanimity at the circuit court level with respect to this question. You know, I think that that um, there's some fairly significant precedent uh, with respect to gender and gender identity and the the standard of review uh, accorded. Uh, in a case like this, that is to say that uh, these cases have been uh, accorded intermediate scrutiny uh, rather than rational basis scrutiny, which is the lowest level of scrutiny and the and of the easiest level of scrutiny for the state to to meet when its actions have been challenged, and the the district court seemed to have no problem recognizing. That heightened level of scrutiny here and having applied that level of scrutiny concluded as as all of the circuit courts have that have addressed this question. Mm
2: -hmm. High school, middle school are fraught with so many um, other problems as as children are growing up. Uh, So I can understand the particular attention to to these kinds of cases. If we broaden it out and, and we look at at gender rights in the broader landscape and in, in these political times, um, where is tr- uh, transgendered rights and acceptance in the U.S. kind of now and, and heading?
1: You know, I, I think that this is. Um, this is a difficult, but I think important question. I, I don't know that I trust trajectories. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, today. Today. <laughs> um, I suspect if you had asked this question three years ago, my answer might have been a kind of uniform upward slope with some push and pull along the the, the edges. Um, I think or that the,
2: around the middle, so to speak.
1: Right. We are seeing litigation around uh, President Trump's uh, attempt to, to ban transgender persons from military service. Um, but we are also seeing at the state level suits involving uh, Medicaid, right? Uh, there's a suit that was decided uh, last summer uh, and there are others on this question in other States, but uh, uh, one of the the big ones was a case called Flack versus Wisconsin um, uh, department of health uh, services with respect to the Medicaid services for which transgender persons are eligible and whether or not, Medicaid would pay for, uh, surgery. Uh, and the district court in that case, uh, held in favor of the plaintiffs on a motion for preliminary injunction, which said essentially that the court concluded that there was a likelihood of success on one of their two grounds. So one ground was equal protection. Court didn't really come to, to, to the conclusion on that ground. Um, but the court concluded that the Affordable Care Act provided a basis for requiring the state Medicaid authorities to um, to provide these medical services. So this is a, it's a, so now the question becomes larger, right, because we are now faced with the litigation around the future of, of of the Medicaid expansion, around the future of the entire Affordable Care Act, given the litigation that was so in the news uh, most recently about the, the the Trump administration's decision to walk away from defending uh the Affordable Care Act in its entirety. And I can't help but believe that part of the uh decision to 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 abandon the Affordable Care Act in its entirety may be in relation to uh things like uh the sorts of provisions that that are afforded to transgender persons, right? The, the, the sorts of strong, um, civil rights, equality protections that the affordable care act, uh, put forward. And so I think we're going to see. This debate and, and and it's in, in lots of places. I think you're going to see it on school boards. I think you're going to see it in courtrooms, but I think you're going to see it in courtrooms, even when the issue isn't squarely transgender, uh rights, I think those issues are gonna affect sort of larger issues or issues that we we might think of as as broader or larger issues. And so I think the landscape is 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 fairly complicated. But I think that um you know as in as with so much uh in in American life, the, the question is probably gonna have to be resolved politically. Mm-hmm. And that means that you're going to have to find some common ground across the either the political parties or um, one of the parties is going to have to win so dominantly that they can sort of push through this. But mm-hmm. we recognize, and or at least we ought to recognize, that the very fact that President Obama pushed through so many of these reforms in a kind of unilateral way suggests that the political process wasn't, at least at that moment, the place where he thought the most benefit could be made. And so um, I don't know what's changed, but I think that ultimately this is going to have to find some political.
2: Right. Well, source. even Obama in his first two years when he had the House in Congress, when he had the whole shoot and match, wasn't able to push through the Affordable Care Act
1: that he had envisioned. no and 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 wasn't able right to push forward legislation um attempting to protect lgbt rights in in large part because of um i think the politics around tra- around transgender mm-hmm. rights uh and uh, and i and, and 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 so i think that uh obama's turn to Um, the bureaucracy to try to push forward on on the gender identity question was in part a response to that, quote unquote, political failure. But I don't think ultimately that judicial decisions or unilateral presidential action um, will resolve these questions, as you said, for our culture, right, for our larger polity. I think that we are going to have to, have a moment or a movement in which these issues either are recognized as legitimate civil rights issues and are affirmed as such by our political institutions. Mm -hmm. Right. But that doesn't that, you know, you think about some of these issues and you think about the sort of halting moves the Supreme court made on issues of race as early as, you know, the 1940s, you think about the unilateral moves that, President Truman made on race with respect to the military. Right. Um, But those don't come to full fruition until the the 1960s. Um, Those of us uh, who, uh, who, who know where we stand on, on this question, uh, I suspect hope it doesn't take that long, but it may certainly take the same set of moves and institutions for us to, to kind of find some, some resting place, uh, uh, politically, um, on, on, on these questions.
2: Mm -hmm. I think if we look at, at where we are as a society versus gay rights, Mm -hmm. that I think people's thinking across the board has changed. Maybe even when they don't realize it, that it's become the percentage of people that are accepting of, of gay rights and, and gay marriage and all this is so much larger than it was 15 years ago. Do you feel like we're in that same place with, with transgendered? We're learning about it. We're, we're seeing people that are transgendered that look like us, whatever that is. Are, are we making tiny steps in the right direction?
1: I think that we, I think the, the, you know, if you think back, right. Um, to the, uh the culture um where some of these moves have to be made right where some of these moves are always made um as an initial matter or at least right in in some initial way um uh you you see shows television shows movies right addressing these themes um uh more straightforwardly uh and so i do think that you are absolutely right that the kind of empathy that is necessary for these sorts of conversations to be had um, by quote unquote regular people, right. To confront this question in ways that allow them the space to feel uncomfortable and to work through that are important and they, and they are happening in nascent forms. Mm -hmm. And I think that people are, um, you know, you, you fall in love with a character before you fall in love, it seems to me with a cause, and so there there are at least in some sense in the in the broader culture, I, I think those possibilities. The question becomes right. Um, all all of this, none of this is inevitable, and so what becomes of, you know, not to be too political, but to be political, right? What becomes of the Democratic Party's um, capacity to carry this forward? Does the does the Democratic Party come to the conclusion that, oh. Um, this this may cost us Ohio, this may cost us Florida, and we've got to sort of backburner some of these things because we can't afford to lose uh, a quote-unquote culture war on these mm-hmm. questions, right? And so it, there, there, there really is, it seems to me, uh, a question about even if one of the political parties remains somewhat sympathetic, mm-hmm. um, how do you... Uh, how 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 do they make rational political calculations about that to say we are the home of this thing, right? I mean, because if you right. think about two thousand eight, right, Barack Obama came out and said, "I think that you know uh, marriage is an institution between a man and a woman," and by two thousand twelve, he came out and said something else, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know that I believed Barack Obama in two thousand eight. But that's irrelevant because he felt like he could not articulate whatever he articulated in, in 2012. Right. And the question is: are the is the environment going to be such that politicians, political party leaders, leaders in Congress think that they can move in this direction? I think that to be sure, there will be a, an attempt to beat back the quote unquote worst of, um, backlash Mm -hmm. moves, but that may not be sufficient, right. For folks who actually want to make real advancements. And so, um, I, I, and I, again, I think that the, these things come down to, you know, at what point does the democratic party think that it can finally sign on to a kind of civil rights project in the mid 1960s? What, what has allowed it, what kind of configuration of politics allows it to get there?
2: And who can carry the water and who
1: can carry that water. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. Right. I think that's absolutely right. Right. So do you do, is there a Lyndon Johnson to, to sort of carry this water? Is there a movement on the outside to push the party to do it? it? Are there the things that may need to come together in light of the other things that political players think they are constrained by to, to move this along now Now, this may mean that it hangs out in the courts for a longer period of time, right? Because the question is, right, courts can act when other actors don't. But that doesn't mean that even these actions aren't felt within the politics because Mm -hmm. these things become politicized in the same way that the judiciary has become politicized. And so you could actually see, right, uh, commercials that say, well, do you want people who are going to appoint more judges who don't trust local school districts to make decisions on behalf of the students they serve. Right.
2: Mm. Okay. I don't know if this is going to work at all, but there was a a show on television last night and the Washington post reported on it that one of the main uh, people fighting with George Washington was actually, I can't think of what the word is, was both man, male and female. Mm. And so you have this, there's, schools and streets and statutes to this person. And all of a sudden you sort of have to go back and and reconsider, hmm, like that was not a, a, you know, we've always looked at this as a man and, and now we sort of have to rethink that maybe it was more of a, what's the term I'm trying to think of where it's not hermaphrodite, but. And it's like a unisex intersex? intersex intersex. Right. That, that this person that we've looked at for hundreds of years mm-hmm. is sort of not exactly. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that sort of reframes our thinking that it's not a or B. It well, you be. know, it's
1: funny, right? Because it, it, it can create certain complications and I'm going to think, and so I'm thinking now through a kind of um, gay lens, right. Mm-hmm. That is to say the, 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 the historical um, finding of recovering of a kind of gay past that we did not know existed, mm-hmm. it, 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 it is it it can work two ways. And the first way I think is is right to say, look, um, the notion that these people are inherently uh, problematic, inherently unable, um, is is a notion that we need to throw away. But in many ways, we've already thrown those notions away. The other dynamic that I think you have to address then is the sort of performance of identity, right? And you sort of say, okay, well, whomever this was, this person performed their identity in ways that may have had a private component that did not sort of rely on a certain kind of state recognition. And maybe that's the model, right? And, and, and that is not um, Drew Adams, right? Drew Adams' model and the model. Uh, I think of the transgender community is in some sense a model of a of a kind of inclusion on their terms, um, and a recognition and respect for that identity. In ways that might prove incompatible with a story that tries to tell a story about the sort of gay FBI agent who's secretly gay, but who's nevertheless really effective at his job. It's certainly right to say it destroys the myth that you are untrustworthy and ineffective, but it may not get those of us seeking uh, a more fulsome inclusion of our identities into the conversation, and so you know, and again, taken to its, its, its extreme, it might say, "Now look, can't you just be like the gays of the nineteen fifties and right, you know, stay away in, in that closet, right?" <laughs> and, and 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 we w- we won't intrude the closet, mm-hmm. but don't you intrude upon the the, the other spaces? And, our
2: framework of, of of our belief system,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think that that, that it becomes a bit fraught in, in, in certain ways. Yeah.
2: It's always fun talking with you. It's always, this
1: was actually a really great um, dive. So thank you for allowing me to, to take it.
2: Anytime.
0: <laughs> Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform and tell your friends to Subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Ray D. Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Ugez. Today's show was brought to you by the fourth annual Legal Malpractice and Professional Liability Roundtable Series on April 26 at the Newman Alumni Center. For more information, go to www.law.miami.edu.